Power Tools, brought to you by the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. For more information, go to www.chronicdisease.org. Well, thank you all for joining today. My name is John Patton with the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors, and you're listening to another episode of Power Tools. And as you know by now, Power Tools uh, is named that because we really believe that these conversations with real change agents uh, help to accelerate the work of our members. So if you're listening today, please uh, get a pencil ready because the stuff you're going to learn today really should add power to your work. So it's a real pleasure to introduce to you um, the team of Open Source Wellness, uh, and that's opensourcewellness.org. We'll get that out again at the end of the um, time together. But I've got the two co-founders, Dr. Elizabeth Markle and Dr. Ben Emerit Aronson, and they have decided, I mean, I tell you, it's so exciting. They've decided that really one of the best prescriptions in all of health is community as medicine. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that sink in a little bit, and we're going to discuss what that means and, and how it really practically plays out in the lives of their patients, uh, if you will, or, or clients, I should say. So anyway, let's get started, and uh, that's going to begin with a little bit of their story. So go ahead and introduce yourselves and, uh, and tell me a little bit about how you came out of big healthcare um, in the area of psychology. Sure. Well, hi. Thanks, John, so much for having us here. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Markle. I'm happy to share a little bit about how we got started. Ben, do you want to say hi first? Sure. My name is Ben Emmert Aronson. Great to be here, John. Pleasure to talk with everyone. Thank you. So, again, Ben and I are both psychologists by training and spent many years working in big healthcare systems, particularly in integrated primary care behavioral health. So, supporting patients and supporting a lot of healthcare providers in advising patients around the areas of behavior change. And here's what we found. We found that across patient diagnoses, so whether the patients had diabetes or depression or cardiovascular disease or something else, and across provider specialty, so whether we were coaching PCPs, specialists, behavioral health providers, that almost regardless of all that, that doctors are giving the same four behavioral prescriptions or the same set of behavioral instructions to just about all of their patients. And anybody listening to this probably knows what they are. They are exercise more, eat better, reduce your stress, and get some social support, some social connection in your life. And then here's the part that drove Ben and I absolutely up a wall. They would then say something like, good luck with that. I'll see you in six months. And I remember talking with Ben and we said, wait a minute, if a doctor prescribes antibiotics, they don't say, good luck figuring that out, talk to you later. <laughs> and same with insulin, they don't say, I'm sure you'll get that figured out, you know, take care. <laughs> they say, your medication will be ready at the pharmacy that's around every corner, your insurance will cover it, and there will be a helpful pharmacist there to make sure that you not only understand how the medication works, how to take it, how to manage side effects, etc. There's a whole infrastructure, a whole delivery system for making sure that patients get medication. 
But for behavior change, which incidentally is more successful, for the, the behaviors and the human experiences that underlie health and well-being fundamentally, there is no delivery system. And so particularly for our patients who need it most, who don't have the financial or sociocultural privilege to access the boutique wellness system, these prescriptions are prescriptions to nowhere. And we see our patients back in our emergency rooms, back in the situations that drove their chronic disease in the first place. So Ben and I set out to create the behavioral equivalent of a pharmacy or a democratized delivery system for behaviors and particularly experiences that truly drive health and well-being. Gosh, that is so absolutely lucid and uh, concise and spot on. It is absolutely inspiring, uh, this idea that, um, that a prescription to nowhere. I mean, what a great quote, uh, but it is really true. And as we look at social determinants of health, as, we, as the nation is, is doing more and more these days, and that's all well and good to look at their transportation and their housing and their food security issues. But again, if there's no community, if there's no roadmap, if there's no social support, then, um, then they're, they're kind of dead in the water. Yeah, it's obviously critical work that we do, and we've got to um, equalize the playing field a bit around that. And we also really recognize that so much of the work around SDOH is focused 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road and isn't serving the folks who are coming into our ERs right now. And so while we absolutely have to do that work um, to support our, fu our future, we also think that this uh, idea of a behavioral pharmacy, that doing these healthy behaviors together in community right now is a way to mitigate some of the effects of these disparate SDOH uh, without telling people, just wait a decade, we'll get to you. Mm, right, wait for the next generation. <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, I want I want you to uh, I don't want to interrupt the the thoughts that you have, but I make sure that everyone listening has an idea of what this really looks like. How does it play out? Uh, give us a paint a picture of what community as medicine looks like in a practical sense on a Tuesday night. Sure. So at Open Source Wellness, we are a delivery system for one sort of universal prescription, and we abbreviate it Move, Nourish, Connect, B. So physical activity, healthy meals, social connection, and stress reduction. And we feel pretty confident that these four things address many of the behaviorally mediated chronic diseases, and frankly, they hurt nobody. So here's what happens. Patients are prescribed participation in open source wellness by their doctors. And the inclusion criteria is incredibly broad. It's anybody who has or is at risk for a behaviorally mediated condition. And we do this work in clinical settings, in community settings, in low-income housing settings, and in corporate settings. And what I want to say is I'm going to describe one of them. And, and while, the, while the delivery is adapted to the population, so we change the music, we change the food, we change the timing, we change some little things, the fundamental prescription of Move, Nourish, Connect, B remains consistent across every platform that we animate as a, as a context for health. So just speaking of the sort of the clinical setting first, Doctors prescribe participation. We then enroll patients through a conversation about what matters to them, what hurts, what they want to be different in their health and their well-being and their life in a 16-week initial dose. So just like you might take antibiotics for 10 days, you engage with open source wellness for 16 weeks ideally. And then 
Participants come together in community for a two-hour block of time once a week, and that can be an evening, uh, dinner experience for those who might be working during the day, and for populations who have more daytime availability, a lunchtime works great. So patients come together in a group of 25 or 30 with a bunch of coaches and peer leaders as well. And what happens first is about 20 to 25 minutes of fun physical activity. We don't call it exercise. It doesn't feel like a workout. It feels like playful social interaction that happens to get people moving. That's followed by about five minutes of some kind of stress reduction. We, we often don't call it meditation because we're not teaching a particular practice or pushing any dogma, but there's some kind of practice of getting still and quiet and finding um, the flavor of acceptance and gratitude in a, in a moment. There's then some kind of experiential learning. It's about 10 minutes and we pick one of the topics of move, nourish, connect, or be and try to give participants an experience that gives them access to a new way of thinking or being around that. And I'll say we, we don't rely very heavily on education. We're not health ed because standing our experience is that information is pretty cheap these days and a handout doesn't get you very far. So we're trying to create an experience that some sort of healthy behavior, some sort of way of connecting or being with other people can be fun and rewarding. And lastly, the large group splits off into small groups and they have about 45 minutes with their small group, their coach, and their peer leader to have a meal together that's healthy and plant-based and tasty and really talk about the things that matter to them. So this is where participants tell the truth about their lives, sometimes about the challenges or the traumas that they're working with. They set goals that matter to them. They design habit change. They really connect with each other in a way that is the magic. So, you know, of all that I described, nothing is rocket science. I'd say that the, the active ingredient really is around connection. It's around the vitality that gets generated when human beings get real with each other and, um, and, and start to create, again, a community or a culture of health and well-being between them. I love, though, you know, your comment about it's not rocket science. It's, it's kind of, though, uh, the, the secret sauce, the science of it is putting it all together. Uh, you know, baking that cake, the, the individual um, ingredients transform when they're all put together and that's what you get. Um, I would encourage everybody to to go to opensourcewellness.org and at very least watch the unbelievable testimonial video um, because what I what I've had the privilege of of, uh, of learning getting to know you both is, are you know is about um, the life change to, to see the goal setting that you mentioned uh, the sharing of lives the fact that you do put a focus on experiential learning. Are there any other comments you'd like to make about, you know, flesh that out a little bit, that experiential learning as, you know, some people are just used to didactic teaching. What's the difference? You know, first of all, I wish I could just invite folks to come visit us. We're currently based in California, but spreading and working to sort of train trainers across the nation so that this model can be implemented in different places. So I wish I could give everybody listening the experience of what we're up to. Um, you know, traditional health programs sort of seek to, the, sort of the theory is with knowledge will come change and will come outcomes. And I, I think sometimes that happens for patients who are particularly resourced and motivated and have really high self-efficacy around creating change in their lives. And for many of the folks that 
um, that come to us and that our healthcare systems are struggling to support effectively, that just isn't the case. There, there are different barriers involved. And, and Ben, you should probably speak more to the, the real, the, you know, the hard outcomes that we see. But what I'll say is that there's a really predictable arc that happens that in, in the first three or four weeks that somebody is participating with open source wellness, the outcomes that they describe are social in nature. They say things like, you know, I don't feel so alone anymore. I feel like I belong here. I feel like I have friends or I feel like I have some hope. Like it's not going to be this bad forever. I can see a path forward. And then in the next, in weeks sort of four to eight, what we see is the mental health improvement. So their PHQ-9 scores, the measure of depression symptoms, come down dramatically and they come down faster and stronger than we see with antidepressants. And, and in weeks sort of 8 to 12 to 16, that's when we see biomarkers change. And Ben can share more about that, but I think it's, it's, the, it's sort of a reverse arc of what we imagine. We're actually seeing social outcomes followed by mental health outcomes, followed by physical health outcomes. And I think, that, I think that's a different way of, of looking at the change that we seek to create. Ben, do you want to say more just about what we're seeing in terms of, of change? Yeah, I would add just a few things to that. So, uh, you know, spot on about the changes that we're seeing. Uh, I would say with depression scores, we reliably see depression cut in half. Um, for our folks with hypertension, we see their blood pressure drop by 15 points, which, uh, again, is larger drops than we usually see with antihypertensives. It's really um, uh, quite stunning to, to see the reliability with which these change. When you look at some of the process measures behind it, you know, exercise and diet, it, it makes sense. Our folks are exercising 45 minutes more per week than when they come in. Um, they're eating seven servings of fruits and vegetables more per week. Uh, the, like they're making all the changes that we ask of, like the health field is asking them to change. But we really, as Liz described, see it not as you know, we tell them to eat more fruits and vegetables and tell them to exercise and then they do it and the rest of their health changes. But just the reverse, where they um, first have that sense of connection, that sense of belonging. And then it's easy to change your health from that place of, um, of abundance and of connection, of community. That the, the health behavior changes that we think need to lead the way actually follow as a natural course. That makes complete sense. I mean, any of us who who had you know New Year's resolutions and been halfway successful have to have that confidence, that that hope you mentioned, um, that we can actually do it uh, before before we would even begin to make those kind of resolutions. That desire, and when and I think sometimes we forget that people get get all out of desire, all out of hope. They're they're <laughs> drained and and dry. Um, tell me a little bit about. Um, Medications. You've probably seen some folks come off their medications. I know that's not your goal to to, to um, change those per se, but I bet that has happened. People coming off uh, various medications for for con, you know chronic conditions. We were actually just talking with one of our peer leaders. Um, so we have a program that after folks come in for their four-month cohort, they can then apply to be a peer leader to uh, help uh, kind of gain leadership skills and help create this program for other participants who are coming through. So these are our folks who really like take this on in a big way. Right? One of our peer leaders was just 
sharing about the changes that he had seen where with the changes in his behavior and his um, diet and exercise, he has entirely reversed his diabetes. His A1Cs are now down around five and a half. He came in on 13 different pre uh, prescriptions for different chronic diseases, and he's down to four. Like the, the change in quality of life for this guy is just unbelievable. You know, the other thing I'll say about medications is just that, that we're very careful to say that we are not healthcare providers and that this isn't healthcare, that we don't give medical advice. And when we work with clinical healthcare systems, we're very careful to identify, you know, this is the nurse practitioner, she's the one who talks to you about medications and, you know, gives you technically medical advice. What we're giving is sort of broad coaching around making and meeting the goals that matter to you. And, you know, John, a couple minutes ago, you, you used the word desire, people running all out of desire. And it inspired me to share just a little bit about some of the fundamental beliefs underlying some of our coaching methodology. We use this framework that we call truth, desire, and habit. And I realize this isn't all over our website or anything, but this is some of the ways that we talk with our coaches and peer leaders. That we, we say that first you've got to start with the truth. And we, we really work to help our participants feel comfortable sharing what is true about their health and well-being right now. So people will say things like, yeah, you know, I eat half a pint of ice cream most nights because I'm lonely and that's, that's just what's happening. Or, yeah, I haven't been able to walk without pain in five years. Or, yeah, I can't play with my grandkids because I'm too exhausted. And we, we start from... Um, doing as much reducing of shame around the truth as we possibly can. And our coaches and peer leaders model that. They tell the truth about their lives and their well-being as well. And once that's established in the group, we can shift to this, this, um, this uplifting of desire. Like, what do you really want? What do you care about badly enough to drive change? It reminds me of, um, you know, I think it was Don Berwick who, who started saying, you know, don't ask your patients what's the matter with you. Ask them what matters to you. And so we, we sort of shift that and we say, ask yourself, not what's the matter with me? Why do I have these bad habits? But what matters to me? What, what do I care about in my life, in my family, in my future that is a power source potent enough to drive the habit change that I'm going to make? And once that's established, once we've got truth and we've got habit on, or we've got truth and desire on the table, then we can shift to a conversation about habit change. And the, the human technologies around habit change have actually been fleshed out pretty well in the past few years. And, and with sort of the backing and the power of truth and desire and community, then our efforts towards habit change are not just sort of dry, you should do this, but they are, I want this and I'm empowered and I've got the support of my team behind me and I'm going for something. So I think that's a little bit of the, of the methodology underlying how our coaches work in small groups. And it, we're not using licensed providers. These aren't sort of like highly trained um, boutique coaches. In many cases, they are they are peer leaders. They're folks who've had their own challenges and who are learning to support others along the way. Mm, I love to hear that too. And I just want to be able to let our, our listeners know that this is, this is um, something that's replicable. It's not unique. It's not something in the water in San Francisco area. Uh, this could be done all over the country. And before we talk about how they could 
possibly leverage your uh, models. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit. It looks like the retention aspect is pretty, um, pretty solid. It makes sense. People get in community. You focus on that building of community and that relationship building and telling the truth and opening up. Uh, that would keep anybody in a group. But how do you recruit them? Because I know some of these skills could be applied at you know, any number of evidence-based programs that our, our listeners uh, try to deploy. So how do you get those folks to, to put their toe in the water and come join you? Well, you know, we're using this behavioral pharmacy framework. It makes a lot of sense as clinicians. It doesn't make sense to participants particularly, so they often don't even hear that phrase. Um, we find that a, a powerful moment for recruitment and enrollment is, is the point of care with a primary care provider where the doctor says, hey, I'm concerned about these test results, or hey, you know, you now meet criteria for this, and I know you're struggling, and I'm going to write you a prescription, but it's a different kind of prescription. It's not a prescription for medication. It's a prescription for a community. And, and we really have to work with providers to know how to have that conversation to be successful referrers or prescribers. And then the, the, the sort of step-down arc that we're building out here in the Bay Area, but that absolutely can be implemented elsewhere, starts in the clinical system. So we actually do group medical visits that are sort of powered by open source wellness um, right at the clinical site so that participants sort of get um, inducted into this OSW methodology of move, nourish, connect, be. They get connected with a cohort and a coach. And once they complete that program, they graduate. Some stay on to be peer leaders, and some choose to go to one of our community sites. And those are sort of freestanding, just like a pharmacy. We take referrals from a lot of different healthcare systems. Um, and that can be sort of phase two, like a, um, a maintenance program. And then at some point, people actually have to graduate out of our community sites because we're over full. We can't sort of keep them forever. So after three or four months there, we, this is sort of cutting edge for us, but we have started to support our peer leaders in leading what we're calling OSWX. So just like there's TED Talks and TEDx, OSWX is the independently organized peer-run version of open source wellness. And we, we give them some coaching and some, some light guidance, but our peers are running uh, a sort of a maintenance group for graduates. And they do the same things we do. So they do physical activity and a little bit of mindfulness, and they eat food together, and sometimes they go on field trips together. Um, it, it reminds me, I had a participant recently come up and say, is this like church for health? And I first <laughs> said, no, 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 no. You know, we're not a religious organization. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, if, if church for some is a place where you gather with community that matters to you, you find strength in shared values, you commit to living in a way that's in line with those values, then okay, maybe we're like Church for Health or maybe we're like AA for Health. And I think the step-down model from intensive change program in the clinical setting to ongoing life maintenance program in community is something that we're really working to refine and, and have operational in a way that is spreadable and scalable. Mm. Well, whether it's Church for Health or AA for Health or anything for health, when people begin to equate health with fun and equate 
fun with community and health with community like uh, your clients seem to do in spades, then uh, it's, it's just called success. So uh, it is just uh, something that I hope everybody will take advantage of. You all have, I think, cracked the code on, um, on, on truly a powerful, exponentially powerful um, aspect of, of our health system, uh, a way to help healthcare providers and community-based organizations um, alike, and, and particularly the community itself, uh, reach real and lasting health. That uh, the idea of that OSWX, uh, it really speaks to sustainability. Uh, long after they leave, they want to continue the uh, the community and continue the the healthy journey. So thank you both for uh, for sharing. Uh, I think you've got a very uh, got a special and uh, impressive um, opportunity ahead of you. I'd like you to share about uh, this award that you've been nominated for. Uh, please, please share how we can help you uh, get across the goal line and, and get this message out even further. Happy to. Ben, you want to speak to this or you want me to pick it up? <laughs> sure. We were actually really excited. We were just nominated for the Scattergood Innovation Award. Uh, so this is an award that goes out each year for programs that are really uh, changing the face of behavioral health and, uh, and the healthcare industry. So right now, if you go to our website, uh, opensourcewellness.org, uh, right up top there's a little description of it. You can click there and easily vote for our, um, our application. Voting closes in just two weeks here, so March 26th. So over the next couple weeks, uh, if you go support the, uh, the application, support this work, if you think that this is an idea that our, the time has come and that more folks need access to this kind of care, uh, we would love that support. Well, I, I just went to the website myself, and it is uh, plain as day right there on the home page. Uh, <laughs> click says vote now. I'll be voting. Uh, you know, if I can vote more than once, I will, uh, because this is just so uh, truly innovative. And uh, I love the fact that they've recognized it um, as innovative, um, because sometimes we we leave that which is uh, so fundamental, community. Um, mm -hmm in the past. Uh, so thanks for, for keeping it relevant and uh, thank you both for giving us your time on Power Tools today at the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. Again, I'm your host, John Patton, and we look forward to having you back next time. Thank you all. Thanks, thanks so much, John. For more information, go to www.opensourcewellness.org. And for more Power Tools, go to chronicdisease.org.